All right, guys, we're in lesson 11 today. We're going to look at the charges against Israel. And so remember I told you the first three chapters we looked at last week were the illustration of Hosea and his marriage to Gomer, who was an adulterous woman. And that was very much a reflection of how Israel was towards God, except her adultery was in idolatry. Now, he's going to uh, talk about the various charges, because judgment is coming, of course, to the northern kingdom. And so he's going to lay out the charges. And he does this in three sections. And so we're going to look at the first one today, which is Hosea chapter 4, verses 1 through Hosea 6, 3. Now, as we go through this, I want you to have the right mindset in how we look at this. Because sometimes here's what happens. We look at this and we think, okay, this is a judgment against a nation, so therefore this is we should look at it from the standpoint of America. That would be a very improper way to approach the Scripture. It would be better for you to think of it in terms of God's people. So Israel, yes, is a nation, and it is a specific nation with specific promises that were given in the Scripture for it, and God had a special covenant with them, and they're facing judgment because of their sin. But if we're going to translate it over today, what we're learning, going to learn today, to where we are right now, you need to think not in terms of countries or our country, but think in terms of people and think in terms of God's people. Now, who are God's people? Well, Israel in this instance, but if we think about God's people today for you and I, who was that? Yeah, Christians, specifically the church. Okay? Not a nation, but God's people. Okay? So I want you to think in terms of God's people. So God's people are breaking their covenant with God. And he's going to punish them. We can learn some lessons from that because we are who? God's people. Do you, do you understand? So I, I want to lay that foundation down as we get into this. So what we're going to look at, first of all, is Israel's unfaithfulness. And we see this in chapter 4, verses 1 through 19. Now, there is a lot here, so I'm just going to kind of go through it with you, okay? First of all, he's going to talk about Israel's condition, all right? So notice with me, the prophet proclaims that the Lord is bringing a charge against Israel. So he's going to bring a charge against Israel. Now, what kind of a charge? Well, remember, when we looked at last week, he talked about bringing a charge against Israel as in like a divorce, okay? So these are divorce charges. This is why he's, he's upset with his uh, special one, which is Israel, okay? So this is a charge. He's going to bring a charge against her. So here's what he says. The Lord states that there is no truth, mercy, or knowledge of God in the land. I want you to notice with me verse 1. Hear the word of the Lord, you children of Israel, for the Lord brings a charge against the inhabitants of the land. There is no truth or mercy or knowledge of God in the land. So here, think about this. Think about how contradictory this is. Here, here's Israel. These are the ten tribes, the northern ten tribes, 
Who's their God? God, right? Jehovah, Yahweh. And who are they supposed to be following? God. And who are they supposed to know? Whose law are they supposed to know and supposed to be teaching their children? The law of God, right? God says, I'm bringing a charge against you because there's no truth, no mercy among your people. But here's the other thing. There's no knowledge of God. No knowledge or understanding of God, okay? Wow, that's pretty bad, isn't it? It's pretty bad when you get to the place where the people of God don't know truth anymore, don't know mercy, don't have a knowledge of God. Do you understand what I'm saying? All right, here's what happens. Israel is unrestrained in its sin as it lies, steals, murders, and commits adultery. So he's basically saying here, look with me, by swearing and lying, verse 2, killing and stealing and committing adultery, they break all restraint with bloodshed upon bloodshed. So basically, no knowledge of God, guess what happens when you have no knowledge of God? Things become unrestrained. So anything can happen. Lying, swearing, and uh, basically that's talking about swearing of false oaths, not just a filthy mouth. There we're talking about murders are being committed and they are committing adultery. So the land will mourn as it experiences judgment that affects everyone and everything. So when you look at the next verse there, in verse 3, it says, Therefore the land will mourn. Everyone who dwells will waste away. With the beasts of the field and the birds of the air, even the fish of the sea will be taken away. It's talking about the judgment that's going to be coming upon Israel is going to affect everything, even the animals, okay? Even the animals and so forth. That's how severe the judgment is going to be. Now he gets, verse 4 through 10, and he directs his attention to one group of people who have utterly failed, and that's the priests. Okay, now, if you think about the role of the priest, what was his role supposed to be among Israel? Well, to teach the God him in worship, but also to teach them the law of God. So yes, they were primarily the priests were in Jerusalem, but then there were priests because there were many of them. They were spread throughout the land. And what was their role? They're not worshiping. They're not ministering at the temple, maybe on a rotation schedule, but they're among the people. And who should they be teaching when they're among the people? God's people. But are they? He just said there's no knowledge of what? God, so there's some kind of a failure going on here, right? Some kind of a failure. So let's take a look at what he says about them, all right? So the Lord tells them not to contend or sue each other since they reject God's law. First thing he starts off and he says, look, Israel, don't bother suing anybody. Don't contend with each other. The scripture says contend. The meaning is don't sue because you don't adhere to the law anyhow, so why are you going to sue somebody if you're not even adhering to the law? So don't do that. So he goes on. 
The priests will stumble and fall into sin because they have neglected their duties. Their duties. What was their duty supposed to be? Teach God's people. Direct them towards the Lord, right? So guess what? They're neglecting their responsibility. So they're just going to stumble and fall into sin. The people perish because they lack knowledge since the priests rejected knowledge. Who should have known the knowledge that they were teaching? The priests, but because they rejected it, the people were perishing. Now, do you think we have that problem today? Think about God's people today. Do you understand what I'm saying? The role of a pastor, Ephesians chapter 4, is to what? Equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Do you have a sense in which, okay, if there is people in the church no longer understanding what they believe, where's the failure? It's not just on their part by their reading, but they need somebody to guide them in their understanding, right? So therefore, there's a what? A failure, right? Now, who, do you think that exists today? Or say that again, Tim. Okay. Okay, all right. All right, so more towards self or, or money and, and, and what they want more so than what God's word are teaching God's people, okay? So here, here's what he's saying. The priests have a responsibility because the people are perishing. They don't know because you have, he's saying you rejected the truth, okay? Now, the Lord will reject them as priests, since they have forgotten the law of God. God's going to reject them. Now, I think it's interesting. When you get over to the New Testament, he says, Paul, the writers say this to the teachers, that they will be held doubly responsible because they what? They teach. So my judgment will be greater than your judgment. Why? Because I'm teaching you. Paul, in his final address, talks about people in the last days will heap to themselves teachers who will what? Tickle their ears. What do you think that means? They're going to come up and tickle your ears? Tell them what they want to hear. You know what I'm saying? Give them what they want to hear so they can do whatever they want. All right. But here, he's saying to the people of God, to Israel, look, your priests, I reject your priests because they have rejected the law. All right. The Lord points out, that as the people increased in numbers, so did their sin. So as the people increased in numbers, that is, the population grew, their sin just grew with it. There's just more and more people sinning. That's the whole point here. More and more people sinning. There's no restraint on them. That's not a good thing, is it? It's not a good thing. So... The Lord will punish the priests and the people because they stopped obeying the Lord. He's going to punish them because they've stopped obeying the Lord. So here, he then goes on, he moves away from the priests. When we start with verse 11 into verse 19, he's going to talk about their idolatry. He's going to get to where they're worshiping other things then God is going to talk about their idolatry. So first of all, he states that the people's hearts were enslaved to harlotry, slash, that means idolatry, 
and wine. The people were enslaved to their worship and wine. The people seek counsel from their wooden idols and it causes them to stray. So when they're seeking counsel, here's the people of God, when they're seeking counsel of what they should do, are they going to the Lord? No, they're going to some image that they carved out. They're going everywhere else. And when they do that, it causes them to what? Stray. To do wrong. Do you understand what I'm saying? To do wrong. Now, the people have committed harlotry by presenting offerings and sacrifices to the idols. They're basically doing everything for the idols. This is the people of God. Because the people lack understanding, they commit idolatry. As they commit idolatry, they will come to ruin. It is a definite pattern in the scripture. You reject God, fine. God says, okay, you go off and do your own thing. Okay, but as you do that, the consequences happen. The consequences. Now, the thing that bothers me, does this bother you? Is that when people go off and do, they reject God, go off and do their own thing, and they face the consequences. Then when they're in the midst of the consequences, who do they blame? Rob, you just said it, God. They blame God, like he's the reason why this is happening. Well, they're the ones who went off, did their own thing. They're the ones who rejected God. They're the ones that are doing their own thing, and so therefore they're bringing their lives into ruin, and then they blame God. And I always want to say to them, why are you blaming him? You told him you didn't want to have anything to do with him. There's no sense blaming him. You didn't want God. So because the people lack understanding as they commit idolatry, they come to ruin. So, now remember, we're talking to the northern kingdom, so what he also does in this section is, is he warns Judah to avoid the sins of Israel. So remember, Hosea is a prophet to who? The northern kingdom, the ten tribes. But as he's prophesying, he's also got a message for the southern kingdom, Judah, and he says, don't do what they're doing. You avoid their sins, okay? You avoid their sins, which we're going to find out later. Did they do a good job of that? No. Actually, they went way beyond what even the northern kingdom did. So the Lord declares that Israel is stubborn as a young cow and is left to herself. Stubborn as a young cow. Now, I'm not a farmer. I don't know. I've never been around cows. Uh, are, can somebody tell me, are young cows stubborn? Or I, I don't know. Yeah, you, okay, you're saying yes. Okay. Okay, all right. So, and he says he just basically leaves her, leaves this young cow. There is a New Testament picture of this in Romans. Chapter 1, verses 18 through 32 there, instead of calling, calling people young cows that he leaves, he says this, God gave them over to their lust, to their own desires. He said, okay, you want to go that way? You just, I'll give you over. Here, in poetic language, God says she's like a young cow who's stubborn, and I just left her. Okay? I just left her. That's not good if God leaves you, right? To your own devices. So Israel is left to itself and will 
will face the impending doom or judgment with shame. So, hey, you don't want me? Fine. You're on your own. Then you face the what? The doom and the judgment. That's what God is saying to them, okay? That's what God is saying to them. Now, before we move on to the second part here, which is chapter 5, anybody got any thoughts about the charges God's bringing against them? Anything relevant to where we are today? Anybody got any thoughts? Okay. Okay, the Holy of Holies, okay. All right, well, actually, remember now. So remember, there's only one place of worship in Israel. Where is it? The temple. Where is it located? Jerusalem. When the ten tribes split off into their own nation, they were supposed to make a pilgrimage to where? To the temple down in Jerusalem. But the rulers of the northern kingdom didn't want that to happen. So they set up their own false gods everywhere, and they just led them off into idolatry. But it wasn't just because the king set up, the people's hearts were removed from God, so they set up their own special groves. So it was typical in, in Israel, every hillside would have maybe a clump of trees on it, and there would be a grove, it would be considered a sacred grove, and it would have a place to make offerings to what? Idols. It might even have an idol there, but it would have an altar. And people would burn incense there, burn sacrifices or whatever, burn their own children, okay? And so they rejected God. Now, but if you talk to them, remember now, they're the people of God, they're Israel, all right? I'm going to use Rob as an illustration here, okay? Let's say Rob is doing his whatever sacrifices to Baal, but I come to him and I talk to him about Jehovah. He talks to me about Jehovah. He talks about the Lord, the Lord. He talks about the Lord, and the Lord bless you and everything. But in the same time, he's also doing what? Going and making offerings to who? Baal. In their mind, they could do both. They did one because it was their identity. They were Jews, but their hearts were more towards where? Baal. Do you understand what I'm saying? So in, in some sense, it's kind of like, okay, let's, let's call it like it is. Do you guys know Christians who say they're Christians, they maybe even come to church, but they live like the devil the rest of the week? Do you, do you know what I'm saying? Is their heart divided there? But when you look at their life, they're actually what? More devoted to living like the devil than they are to... Their identity is, maybe because grandma brought them to church or whatever, their identity is, I should go to church every once in a while, but their heart is somewhere completely different. This is what he's talking about here. But it gets to the place with these folks that they don't even, they don't even worship God anymore. They're just worshiping who? Baal. Or Ashtaroth or making raisin cakes to some moon god or something. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. 
there are, there are verses about divided hearts, but the fact is, but there are verses that say, you shall worship no other God but me. And that was in the law. Very first commandment. Shall worship no other God but me. But from the very beginning, they've always been hard-hearted. When they were wandering through the wilderness, guess who they were worshiping? The goat gods. The gods of the goats. Really? Yeah, money. Yeah, yeah. Jesus refers to it as mammon. You cannot worship mammon and God. Yeah, that's right, Danny. So... When they're left to their self, they're going to face the impending doom and judgment. All right, so let's talk next. We get into chapter 5. He's going to talk about the judgment. So basically, chapter 5 is just 14 verses, okay? So the Lord singles out the people, the priests and the king, because the people engaged in idolatry. So he's basically saying every stratus of of, of the culture there. Not just the people, certain types of people. He says the priests. Not just the priests, but the king, which represents the authority. So every stratus of society is being singled out because they're all doing what? Worshiping false gods, okay? So the nation has become corrupted and cannot hide its sin from the Lord. So the people of God have been so corrupted now they can't hide their sin from the Lord. Which, by the way, can you hide your sin from the Lord? Now, well, they thought they could do it, but obviously they're so corrupted now, it's very obvious. And here's the problem. Judah will follow Israel's example and will come to ruin as well. Not as quick. It'll happen a few hundred years later, but they'll be defeated as well. But Judah's going to do the very same thing, okay? So the people will try and seek the Lord through sacrifices, but he will not hear them. Okay, Psalm 66, verse 18. If you regard iniquity in your heart, the scripture says, I will not hear you. This seems to be like the missing thing with people. Why isn't God listening to me? Why isn't God here? Why doesn't he hear my prayer? I think the first place we start is not wondering what's wrong with him, but maybe wondering what's wrong with us. Am I where I should be? So you do an examination of your own life. If God's not answering prayer, first thing is look at where you're at. If you're not where you should be, don't expect answered prayers. Are you sure that sounds like an Old Testament thing? Well, you get over to the New Testament, get over into where Peter talks about husband loves your, love your wives, and if you don't love your wives, he'll not hear your prayers. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, God ties his hearing us based upon how we, what? Live our lives and how we interact with others. So here he says to these folks, man, they are so corrupted. And, and they, especially when the heat turns on as far as what they need to do, they'll try and seek the Lord and they'll do sacrifices. It isn't just that they're going and praying. They're making sacrifices, burning things. Have you ever seen people like that? They need something from God so bad that they'll do whatever. God, I'll volunteer for this, and I'll give this money, and I'll do that, and whatever. And they're just hoping that God will answer them. And God says, I'm not listening. 
I am not listening to you. Because you seeking after me really isn't a reflection of where you're at, is it? Because you're continuing on in what? Your sin, okay? Your sin. So the people will try and seek the Lord through sacrifices. He will not hear them. Also, the sound of an invading force is about to be heard in the land. So he makes it very clear. Hey, guys, guess what's going to happen? <laughs> There's an army coming. And the sound of the trumpets, of their trumpets, went back, warfare was different back then. Here we do it kind of stealthily. We kind of go in and, and wipe them out without them knowing that we're coming. There, they did the big announcement thing. They're like honking horns, you know, and blah, 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 blah. You know, like, like, a, like you think about it like cavalry when you watch the Western where they're blowing the bugle as they're charging. You know what I'm saying? They're like announcing, we're coming, our massive, you know, whatever, showing up. And the noise of war is about to be heard in the land. Judgment is coming. Even Judah will not be spared since they have forsaken the covenant as well. And by the way, let me tell you what happened with Judah. So when the Assyrians came in, and they're the ones who destroyed the northern kingdom and took them away into uh, exile, the Assyrians just didn't stop at the border. They went in and took all of Judah except one place. They only surrounded Jerusalem. All the others of cities of Judah were destroyed, people taken away, those that didn't flee to Jerusalem. Now, God said, made a promise. Remember, we looked at this last week, that they don't need to worry. There's not going to be an army that saves Judah, but who? God will save them. Why? He killed hundreds and thousands of them in one night. And they never took Jerusalem, so Judah was spared. But Judah wasn't necessarily spared. Why? Because Judah is more than just one city. It's, it's a province. Its own kingdom. And it was not spared. Why? Because they're doing the same thing. They're doing the same thing. All right? So God's judgment is severe. Okay, let's stop for a moment before I get to this point. Can you? I, I hear people all the time. I believe in eternal security. Does anybody know what eternal security is? Once saved, always saved, right? That's how we reduce it down into a statement. We believe that we are eternally secure in our salvation, that I can't lose my salvation. When I come to Christ, I come to Christ to him. Now, here's what happens, though. There is a mentality that is adopted in our churches that believe in eternal security that I can do whatever I want to do. I'm saved. I can just do what I want to do. Okay, here's the problem. No, you can't. Yeah, you may not lose your salvation, but guess what? He still punishes. And when you look at a passage like this, God doesn't tolerate his people what? Sinning. He deals with them. Do you understand what I'm saying? He deals with them. First of all, think about it. You're a parent. Your child's not doing right. Did you just kind of like, oh, well, whatever. That's them. That's that. They always do that at that age. Whatever. Did you just kind of turn the head and walk away in another room? Or did you like, whoa, wait a minute. You can't do that. And disciplined him. What did you do? 
Yeah, you discipline them, whatever method you used, okay? The point is, why? Because you loved them, you cared for them, you were their parent. God's, God, I, sometimes we take the God is my buddy thing too far. Yes, he's my friend, but he's still my what? Lord. Do you understand? My Lord. So, even Judah would not be spared. Now, here it is. The Lord himself will be the punisher as he uses others to attack Israel. Even though it was the Assyrians who would come in and do this devastation, God says, it's me. They're just the tool in my hand. I'm the one who's attacking you. Okay? And doesn't that make sense? Because God said, nobody can attack you. He tells Israel, nobody can attack you unless I allow them to attack you. And that's the same thing for you and I, folks. Nothing can happen to you and I as God's children unless God, what? Allow it to happen. Okay? Now, here we get to Israel's repentance. We see this in verse 15 and verses 1 to 3 of chapter 6. So let me read to you verse 15. I will return again to my place till they acknowledge their offense. Then they will seek my face and in their affliction, they will earnestly seek me. Then we get to verse 6, 1 to 3. Come, and let us return to the Lord. For he, has for he has torn, but he will heal us. He has stricken, but he will bind us up. After two days, he will revive us. And on the third, he will raise us up. That we may live in his sight. Let us know. Let us pursue the knowledge of the Lord. His going forth is established as the morning. He will come to us like, a, like the rain, like the latter and the former rain to the earth. All right, so let's talk, take a look here. What is he saying here? First of all, the purpose of the Lord's judgment is the restoration of Israel. That's the purpose. His whole purpose in punishing them is to restore them. Okay, so let me just stop for a moment. Okay, so I've lived through, I am 56. I came to Christ in 1985, and I was 19 years old. So, all right, so 37 years now as a believer. And the reality is, is that in that time, I've seen some terrible things in church. So have you. And that is, for instance, like some sort of church discipline thing where we, we discipline people out of the church and there is a reason for discipline. I'm not talking against discipline, but the manner in which it was was to humiliate people and to punish them for their sin. And the problem is, that's not biblical. The whole purpose for discipline in the Bible, from the Old Testament to the New Testament, is not to punish them and, and make them pay for what they did. It's ultimately what? to restore them back to the relationship with the Lord. And a lot of times I see discipline happening in a church. It isn't to, quote, bring them back to Jesus. Why would they come back if they're being treated that way? It's almost like they're ignoring Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, which says, you who are spiritual, what? Go to someone who's in sin and what? With, with a spirit of meekness and gentleness, restore such a one. With meekness and gentleness. 
Do you understand what I'm saying? So the reality is, is the whole purpose of God's judgment, even though it's terrible, he's bringing in an evading army and wiping them out and taking them off. His whole purpose is what? To bring them back to who? To the Lord, okay? To the Lord. So as they face judgment, they will genuinely seek the Lord. All right. Would everybody agree with that statement? As they face judgment, they'll genuinely seek the Lord. Do you agree with that? Okay, yeah, that's good, Tim. Look, listen to what it says here in verse 15. Then they will seek my face. In their affliction, they will earnestly seek me. Listen to that last statement. In their affliction, they will earnestly seek me. Have you noticed that when the pressure is on in our life, who do we cry out to? Yeah, God. Do you understand what I'm saying? Why? And so have you ever wondered why God allows things to happen in our lives? Because we're like the children of Israel. We have a tendency to what? I'd like to say, look, I'd like to say, well, you know, I never do that. I'm always devoted to the Lord. I'm always looking to him. My mind is always stayed on thee, Lord. My eyes are always on you. Is that realistic? No, because we get comfortable, and so suddenly we start thinking, oh, I can do this, and I can handle this, and I, we become self-sufficient. And so then the problems of life happen, and it makes us aware that what? We can't do it alone without him. So when the problems of life happen, who do we turn to? Who do we run to? Who do we seek? Who do we cry out to? Superman? No. To the Lord. And it says it right here. Israel is going to turn back to him when they're in their affliction. And he's there waiting. And you know what the wonderful thing about the Lord is? He doesn't say to them, I told you so. Of course you're back. I told you this would happen. How does that go over when you have somebody tell you that, right? You know, that doesn't... I mean, you already are feeling humiliated and embarrassed enough to have somebody say, I told you so, right? But the Lord doesn't do that. What does he do? Welcomes you back. A wonderful picture, isn't it? The prodigal son goes off, spends his dad's wealth, his inheritance, realizes he's in despair, remembers, remembers his father, runs up, and he's saying, oh, you know, forgive me, I've sinned, I'll just be a servant. His dad's like... Bring the best, what, robe, put it on him. Kill the fatted calf. We're having a party. My son, whom I'm lost, is what? Now found. That's God. That's the Lord, isn't it? So as they face judgment, they will genuinely seek the Lord. Here's the other one. The prophet records. So when you look at verses 1 to 3, this is not the Lord speaking. It's the people of Israel speaking. The Lord records the words of the people as they return to the Lord in repentance. 
when you look at verses 1 to 3, it's the voice of Israel now in repentance. It's the voice of Israel now expressing repentance to the Lord. Look at what it says there. Verse 3, verses 1 to 3. Come, let us return to the Lord, for he has torn, but he will heal us. He has stricken, but he will bind us up. After two days, he will revive us. On the third, he will raise us up that we may live in his sight. Let us know. Let us pursue the knowledge of the Lord. His going forth is established as the morning. He will come to us like the rain, the latter and former rain to the earth. Now to them, remember, they're living in an arid culture. Think Middle East, arid culture. Rain would be considered what? Wonderful and blessing, wouldn't it? And so he'll come to us like a what? A rain, refreshing, invigorating. That's how the Lord is described here, by people who come to him in repentance. All right, so where do we go with this? Let me wrap this up. All right, so what we see here in the first oracle is this. God's not happy with God's people sinning, right? What does he do? Just let it go? No, he deals with it. But why does he deal with it? To restore his people. And when they come back, they're blessed. They're refreshed. That's the first charge. Okay? We'll look at the next part next week.